Hello everyone, welcome to the show this week. It's wonderful to have you with us. I want to say a, a very big hello to Pete and Jan from Tiny Dog Records in the UK. Thank you for sending us your latest album. And congratulations to the three finalists of the European Microfinance Awards, which were held on Thursday evening at the European Investment Bank. Extremely heartwarming work, amazing work, and uh, every one of them deserves the prizes they got. Now, this week's show is a cultural show. After a roundup of the news with Sasha Kio, my colleague here, we're going to talk about the world of literature and the upcoming book festival with Anne-Marie Reuter, Jeppe Gomez and Jessica Lenz. And we're going to talk about an upcoming theatre show with Marie-Christian Nishimwe. I have just been told how to pronounce this surname. Jules Werner and Jack Shields. So stay with us for an hour of fun and culture. But first of all, we're going to turn to the news. Now, we're not going to mention something you've mentioned for a couple of weeks. We're going to take a, a little homeward glance now. And we're going to start with all things politics. We covered the election night. We had a lot of fun that night. Uh, um, and now we have a new government. Yes, finally. But um, after five weeks, we, we do have a new government. Um, it's going to be officially sworn in today by the Grand Duke, today being Friday when we record the show. Um, apparently, five weeks is not a long time to form a government and uh, have coalition talks. So I, I stand corrected. Officially, um, it's because it has taken much, much longer in the past. But so we have a new coalition between the Democratic Party and the CSV. And our new Prime Minister is Luc Frieden. Um, and Xavier Bettel, who has been the Prime Minister for the last 10 years, now is officially Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister. And in fact, you had that uh you had that last week, didn't you? Yes, I thought it would be this. I mean, a lot of people thought it would be this. And I think it's a, I think it's a nice role for Xavier Bettel, actually. Yes, yes, I would have thought so. Um, and But in, it's been quite interesting because all the, there are 15 ministerial positions and already there's quite a lot of criticism mm. of, of the ministries. And the biggest criticism is that the Department for Housing um, has been mixed with the Department of, or the Ministry of Education. I read so this. The, yeah. so the Education Minister, Claude Maish, ha, will have two really big portfolios and housing was the, well, is one of the big issues in Luxembourg mm. and, uh, and it was apparently very high on the coalition talks agenda. Mm. Um, and uh, so the critics are already saying these are two really big portfolios. Is one going to get neglected um, over the other? Mm. Yeah, I, I saw that and I thought, that's an interesting combination. I know they often have very disparate uh, portfolios, yeah. but this one, like you said, they're two very, very big, hefty ones. And well, we'll see. We'll see what we'll will see. happen. Exactly. I mean, things can change. It hasn't even started. I mean, you know, the uh, they will be officially sworn, sworn in today by the Grand Duke. And then they get a, a symbolic key to go into your new ministry handed over to you by, by your predecessor. And then on Monday is the first official government sitting. I think we should also mention Eureka Bacchus, who is very prominent in the campaign as well. She has now moved to the become the Minister of Defence, Equality and Mobility. Yes. Yes, that's an, another, it's a new job for her mm. coming from economy, uh, not economy, from finance. Um, so, yes, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting time. And, uh, you know, let, let's see if they do tackle these these uh, big issues, which are housing, Luxembourg has just gone into recession, mm. um, you know, 
Let, let's see what happens. We will, we will, and we'll bring it to you, of course. Uh, Asselborn, we should mention him as well. He's stepping down as the outgoing foreign minister. Uh, I think there's an awful lot of affection for him from what I've heard on the ground. A lot of people really, really like him as a person. Yes, I think so. I mean, he has been the foreign minister for 19 years, and um, which is a, an astonishingly long time. And also, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's 74. He said he need, needs a rest now. But... I think he he's made a very interesting point, which is that he seems a little bit deflated by by the role of diplomacy nowadays. Mm-hmm. He say he is saying, you know, I I've been the sort of Europe Luxembourg's top diplomat now for a long time, and with the war in in the Middle East, you know, it was ignored. He's very critical, mm-hmm. saying, you know, we should have been working harder on the, on a two-state solution. That didn't bring us anywhere. And so did the fact of ignoring the Russian threat on Ukraine. So he he's left sounding quite depressed, actually, mm-hmm. at the achievements of, of uh, diplomacy in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine a politician would like to leave feeling they've done good in the world. I mean, it's meant to be a job with purpose, for purpose, for people. Um, And one would hope to have something in your armoury to go away feeling good about your life well spent. Perhaps Tony Blair thinks about Northern Ireland. He is very positive about the role of Europe. So, um, I mean, he's a very outspoken politician, which I I think is one of the reasons people really like him. Um, But he does say, we thought Europe would collapse after the Brexit vote, and it hasn't. Mm. So um, he is still very pro-Europe. Well, on that note... Let's move to the UK because there's been quite a reshuffle there too. Oh, isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that, I have to say. So um, I think this- there was a little bit of a, a video clip. I didn't, I, I just heard it through hearsay that uh, when um, David Cameron walked out of the Range Rover or whatever vehicle he was in at the time, um, one of the background people, cameraman or something, said, What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, Rishi Sunak's Conservative government in the UK has done a big reshuffle because he he fired his interior minister, um, Suella Braverman, and in this reshuffle has brought back the former Prime Minister, David Cameron, as his foreign secretary. Cameron's quite a divisive figure, to say the least, because he did call the Brexit referendum and despite Despite being a Remainer, he felt forced to, to call this referendum and subsequently resigned um, as as soon as the referendum you know, result, went, came w- in. result came mm. in. Exactly. So he's been hiding in a shed, apparently, writing his memoirs. He hasn't really seemed to have been doing very much. He he's a lord. Yes, well, he has to sit in the House of Lords because, of mm. course, he doesn't have a, a, a constituency anymore mm. uh, to be foreign secretary. And... You know, some people say it calls. It looks like a desperate measure to call in a, a sort of an old prime minister, but maybe it gives it gives the job a bit more gravitas um, as they're heading into an election next year. And I saw that he already met Zelensky. Yeah, on just Thursday, three, three days, yes. or two days after he'd yes. been. Yeah, so quick moving, you know, to sort of sh- show that uh, he obviously that his contacts are very good and he can see the top people in the world. I'm sure he has very good access mm. uh, to politicians in the world, you know. Um, well, this is something Rory Stewart talks about on uh, on his wonderful yes. podcast. He talks about the fact that somebody can be popped into a new position, ministerial position, and literally within a day or two, they have to be on the Today programme on the BBC talking about the ministerial portfolio. Not really knowing the brief. Yes. And it's tough. It must be very tough. And I mean, to be fair to Cameron, he must he must have a you know, 
You must have a, some a pretty knowledge. good clue, even if it's a little bit out of date now after all yeah. these years. But uh, yeah. Yeah. no, I'm sure he kept up to speed with uh, <laughs> with what was going on. Now let's move to uh, the Dutch elections. So these are going to be really interesting next week because, um, again, we will have a prime minister of 13 years. So Mark Rutte has been in in, uh, government for 13 years uh, leaving. And um, so it's it's a really big election for the Netherlands, but it's also very interesting because there are 26 parties, would you believe, uh, vying for... I thought there was a lot in Luxembourg. Yes, (laughs) for for seats. And um, so... Yeah. It's likely that the Netherlands might get their first female prime minister, mm-hmm. uh, Dylan Yes, I'm going to mispronounce this so badly, Yesilgas. Um, and she is in the same uh, Liberal Party as Rutte is. Um, so either her or a, anti, a very strong anti-corruption campaigner is mm-hmm. also one of the favourites. Um, and then we, we, you know, there are coalitions to come. There's the very right-wing party led by Gert Wilders, mm. if you remember him from mm-hmm. way back, and also the a Labour coalition, uh, which is led by Franz Timmermans, who was the EU commissioner, and he resigned to get involved back into Dutch politics. So it's a real cliffhanger. There's an awful lot of elections going on at the moment, it seems, this year <laughs> yes. and next year with the upcoming European elections as well. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to other topics. We'll leave politics aside. Uh, something that's uh, very dear to my heart I didn't know about this till I read about it. It's the ADHD clinic in Edelbrook. Yes, so this was a provisional clinic, actually, for um, ADHD sufferers. And um, it has been so successful that they're now looking to make it permanent. So the rise in ADHD globally is obviously of great interest and uh, Luxembourg is not exempt. So mm-hmm. um, the in Luxembourg, they believe to be six, between 16,000 and 33,000 people that suffer from the condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's quite pioneering about this clinic is that it, they're, they're offering a mix of um, drugs to help you concentrate, but also therapy. So mm. it's, um, I think, before that there was no specific place that you could go to and understand and uh, the report on RTL was was super interesting because it was with a uh, a young man who just thought he suffered from depression mm-hmm. and he didn't realize that um actually you know ADHD which seems to affect this part of your brain the dopamine levels uh where where you can Organ, get organised and do planning and that you're incapable of, of doing that. Mm. Um, so he hadn't been diagnosed at all with it and it's only when he went to this clinic that uh, he, he started to understand. Well, a lot of adults only get diagnosed when their children are diagnosed. And on that point, I was at an event um, a few weeks ago in Brussels about brain health and innovation. It is actually proven scientifically that if you take... Uh, I mean, it's not a fix, but if you increase the um, levels of omega-3 and 6, you can help the ADHD effects. So there's this really interesting new research into that as well. Yeah, so yeah, I hope so, because Luxembourg is not always very good on, on I think, mental health issues. Mm. Um, so, you know, if there is now a, a specific place that you can go to something for like that, mm. whether an adult or a child for diagnosis, that's that's a good thing. Surely. And it destigmatizes it, which is always a good thing as well. Sex and space. <laughs> this is a great story. I like this story. And this is a, a going back to the Dutch entrepreneurs. 
Yes, so it's a it's a <laughs> Dutch entrepreneur who is investing a lot of money mm. into uh, whether or not we can reproduce in on Mars when the time <laughs> comes. Um, so it's not just it's uh, at first we you know you 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 read it and you're like what? But he was saying you know if we do have to populate uh, a, a, another place with either zero gravity or part zero gravity, then we need to work out how we can reproduce. Um, so then they're stuck. Yeah, I just wonder, how, how does this question come into somebody's mind? You know, you're wandering around making your tea, cleaning your house or something. They think, I must figure this out. Well, it turns out that NASA have been trying to figure it out for oh, years. OK. So this is what really made me laugh, is that then you sort of start thinking, well, you know, OK, so he's he's got, uh, he's got a taking embryos where they're starting with mice and mixing uh, uh, sperm cells with egg cells from from a mouse and taking it into space and seeing if they can uh, fuse that. But um, in fact, there is X-rated material, um, (gasps) apparently. Oh, my goodness. That shows, because of one of the other things, if you can send (laughs) astronauts into space, is how long can you go maybe without wanting um, relations? And so they, there apparently <laughs> is X-rated material on NASA, but because one of course, the issues is how, how can you have sex in, uh, in zero gravity? Mm. And so they've literally gone through sexual positions, <laughs> which ones you can do without mechanical help. There's a lot of detail once you start reading these articles. I can feel it's a worst article fun. coming up here. I think this is going to feature in a new kind of short story. <laughs> <laughs> to satirist in the room here. <laughs> uh, yes, astronauts test sex in space, but the mm. Earth move is one of the titles of the articles I was reading. So it's quite quite interesting. Yeah. It makes a change from the uh, usual quite glum news. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which story to go to next. But <laughs> <laughs> how do you follow that story? I should have ended on that one. The next story is also very interesting, but completely different. But it really did, um, you know, I suppose... It, piqued my interest in in a similar kind of like extraordinary fashion is the headmaster of the Edward Station School in Clairvaux. Well, yes, it's 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 a bit of a shocker. Is uh, Clairvaux has this new um, EU international school, Europe, you know, based on the European school model, and the headmaster, I have to say, is accused of always being investigated rather for drug dealing um, and uh, having um, various it's, drugs it's, on this him is, as well as. Sorry. Yeah, the bit that got me was more the prohibited weapons. Yes, that's the bit. <laughs> I was just about to move on to that. And, um, and in the office at the school, allegedly. But as I say, I mean, these, the, he is being investigated. He's uh, been suspended from his position at the moment. But it's quite shocking. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting story. We, yes, like you said, it's under investigation. So we don't know. So, yes, let's see. We don't know. <laughs> And then finally, sorry, this is a terribly sad story, but it's extinction. Yes, but the research is mm. being led by the Natural History Museum mm. in, in Luxembourg. And actually what they have found is that um, the it's, it's much worse than a UN report from 2019 mm. and specifically extinction in the case of insects. So... Um, they found that 19% of animal and plant species aren't 
are under threat of extinction, but for insects, it's up as high as 27%. And this data was taken from Luxembourg. And it's, you know, it's due to many things, whether, you know, it's um, a lack of biodiversity, the way that farming has changed in Luxembourg, built huge amounts of building, climate change, all the rest of it. But I, I, again, maybe this is ignorant on my part, I didn't realise that the history, the Natural History Museum here in Luxembourg actually does a lot of research mm. on, on uh, mm. studies like this. Which is wonderful and it's really nice to have that because it's not a huge museum but within it you have the research facility as well which is which is great. I mean, it's very important to have that research element. I think it makes a museum all the more strong. Absolutely. And and anecdotally, I think we we think, oh, you don't, you don't see as many insects as you used to. Um, and yeah, it turns out that they are much in reduction. And perhaps linked to that, the final story is one of heat. Well, again, this is a really depressing doomsday story. Um, but, uh, you know, an international team of experts has warned that uh, nearly five times more people will die to extreme heat in the coming decades, so up until 2050. Mm. And that is, again, from actually from infectious diseases, mainly airborne by mosquitoes, uh, drought, um, and, uh, you know, the, the problem of actually feeding the world, particularly in developing countries. Mm. Um, so this is a really big report by, by the UN and uh, mm. yeah, we, we kind of know it. Actually, that's what the European Microfinance Award was about this year. It was all about food scarcity and food security and helping people um, in pastoral areas, almost unreachable pastoral areas across the world and how they can help. Satellite information really helps, in fact, to, to monitor that. But yes, it's, it's not easy. It's terribly, terribly hard. Anyway, well, especially when the focus of the world is always on the immediate and not what's happening in, you know, when you hear these stories, oh, this is going to happen by 2050. I think people tune out. And I think with with these, uh, you know, the wars going on at the moment, I think climate change has taken a real backseat um, in terms of, of money from governments and also people's attention span. Mm. Um, so I know the EU is always trying to sort of get climate change up there, you know, the well, Green it features, Deal. It features in the Middle East war because of access to water. Absolutely, it's huge. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, Sasha, as always, thank you very, very much. I think I know which story is sticking in my head of all of those. <laughs> <laughs> and right after this break, we will talk all things literature. The Lisa Burke Show. Now with me in the studio, I have JP Gomez, who is the winner of the 2022 National Literary Competition. But you'll probably know him from his satirical blog, The Luxembourg Verse. Now, he's originally from Colorado in the US, lived in Luxembourg for nearly 17 years here with his wife and two children. You also lived in Barcelona, New Orleans for three and a half years, which you absolutely loved. I think it had a lot of impact on you, along with Galway as a 16 year old for two months. So we will talk a little bit about Ireland as well. And you're here because you are the winner for writing your book of short stories, The Idiot of St. Benedict and Other Stories. It's uh, published. Um, and actually, we will say who it's published by, because in fact, also in the studio, I have Anne-Marie Reuter, who is uh, here representing uh, Black Fountain Press and all things to do with the Valfer Book Fair, which is coming up. And we also have a very young lady who is Jessica Lenz. She's the winner of the Young 
Voices Writing Contest this year in the poetry category. You went to the Athenee in Luxembourg and in 2019 went off to Amsterdam to study literary and cultural analysis. And now Jessica is working on her master's degree in literary research. Your work has been published by Femzine, Loose Dog Magazine and The Feminist Club. So we have a a wonderful flavour of literature. I'm going to start with you and Marie. I want you to talk to us about what the Walford Book Fair is all about here in Luxembourg and its importance. Oh, it's extremely important uh, and it's all about books. Uh, so it's uh, Valfa, the Valfa Book Fair is uh, the biggest book fair in uh, Luxembourg and it's uh, it's really expanded uh, over the years. So there are plenty of events uh, that uh, happen uh, over the two days. So it starts tomorrow. It, actually, it has already started yesterday evening. There was the ceremony of uh, the, the book prize uh, uh, that's organised always by the uh, Federation of Publishers uh, and um uh, so tomorrow uh, the uh, the halls will open at uh, 10 o'clock and uh, tomorrow uh, there will be stands everywhere. There will be uh, outdoor performances. And we're, we're keeping fingers crossed the weather will be pretty miserable. Yeah, exactly. Will be good. But there, there's music uh, as well. There are food trucks and uh, there are um, halls. Uh, so one specific hall for children's uh, books uh, there during the day you have performances uh, by by clowns uh, readings for children uh, but at the same time also in Maison du Fin there are readings by uh, by adult authors uh, JP Gomez is going to read uh, tomorrow at uh, four o'clock and uh, Jessica and uh, Catherine Antringer will read at, uh, six, at at quarter past four we have a uh, the official launch also the official launch of uh, the um, Young Voices uh, book. In the evening, there's a word in progress um, performance by by three uh, other English uh, writers. But basically, uh, over the weekend, you have plenty of uh, of books that are presented that are celebrated. Plenty of authors and everybody who likes reading should absolutely not miss this opportunity to see the latest publications and really immerse uh, themselves in in this atmosphere uh, that especially in this season I think mm-hmm. uh, with the weather being so bad I mean you feel like uh, snuggle up with a book snuggling up with a book exactly in front of a fire and Christmas is coming up and mm. you need Christmas presents uh, and need what Christmas better presents. Christmas presents than books so um, definitely uh, this is a moment not to be missed Absolutely. So I'm going to talk to, to you now, JP. Do you know, you probably do know, you were my first podcast interview. I remember that, yes. I yes. remember it too. Yes, so people can go back and listen to your life story there. We should do another one, a follow-up actually. Yeah, sure. um, but you you really have this this joy, this love of literature. Uh, you, you're known for your satire and even this book, which I've started, not finished, is a satirical novel in places. It's, it's quite funny. You always have that sense of humour thrown in. Um, but you also have lived in different places and I think notably New Orleans has had an influence on you. Yes, I lived there from about 2001 till 2005 and um, didn't have a, a real reason to go there. It was just a, seemed like a nice place. I moved there with my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife. And it's such an interesting city in terms of culture and literature and history. Uh, it felt like a lifetime, although we were just there for about three and a half years. Why did you leave? 
That is a really good question. Um, although it is probably good we left because a few months later, Hurricane Katrina arrived. So we just sort of missed that by a few months, um, which was hard to be away during that time because we had so many friends there and we had really uh, grown roots there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just wanted to travel. We ended up going to Barcelona after that just to change. We were we were young then, young and beautiful. Well, <laughs> let's call ourselves still young and beautiful. You can be young and beautiful always in your mind, <laughs> at least, I <laughs> <That's> hope. <right. laughs> um, but you also describe writing as free and mostly harmless therapy. <laughs> that's That's absolutely right. If you've got any anxieties, frustrations, worries, fears, whatever it is, if you can sort of... Um, put it down on paper or in a document, somehow it becomes a bit lighter. So that's certainly the case with the Luxembourg Verst. It's not a personal therapy um, uh, tool, but at times there are things that just drive me crazy. Uh, today, for example, on the way here, I was driving and on one stretch of road, there were three different construction projects going on, each with its own uh, temporary <laughs> stoplight. So half of a kilometer stretch became... Uh, I know exactly where you mean. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know precisely where you mean. Right. So I'm surprised we, more accidents haven't occurred there because of the various road markings. Anyway, curious. Yes. Yeah. So that sort of thing. Um, that's just one example. It's it's kind of it's kind of mundane. But mm. if I suddenly write about it, it, it just seems a bit a bit less frustrating. Do you keep a diary? No, I used to once upon a time, but I haven't done that for a long time. The diary is the worst. I think so. <laughs> and then you know you also describe writing as pure muscle memory. What do you mean by that? Because I think it, I, I'm sure you, one becomes better at writing the more you do it. But I, I think it's more than just a muscle memory. Well, I, I think a lot of people would like to write or they've got ideas, but somehow the connection between their fingers and their brain is, is not so strong. So it's just the, the fact of writing every single day of working your fingers uh, and working that connection between your brain and your fingertips uh, makes it easier when you have a really good idea to just sort of let it come out mm-hmm. into a document. That's sort of what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, a lot of successful writers just do have a habit of writing every single day, even if it's just a journal entry, even if it's uh, they're re- typing out recipes. Yeah. Yeah. So for you then, you said writing with your fingertips, do you write by pen or <laughs> no 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 <laughs> tapping away tapping away on the keyboard some people yes. do write by pen some people do write longhand and uh dawn french for instance a very famous um british comedian she writes by hand and then hands it over to her uh or whoever types it up for her etc <laughs> but she she says that writing by hand makes her edit before it lands on the page that, that makes a lot of sense yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and so then uh, tell us about your book that you won the award for um, so it's a collection of six different short stories. I guess they range from about three pages to maybe 30 pages. They're not at all like the Luxembourg verse. They're mm. not particularly light. Um, they are sort of speculative. Mm. Uh, it's a bit in the realm of science fiction, a little bit of horror. Um, so they're quite different, but I really, really like the stories. And Emery and Jeff at Black Fountain, they really um, put a lot of time and effort into helping me, helping the stories get in really good shape. So I'm really pleased with the results. I love the stories. I was really honored um, that they that they were willing to to publish them. It's a beautiful book, actually. And uh, just on that point as well, do you think you'll move more into prose? Is it something that's always been something that you wanted to do ultimately? Or what will be your favourite? Because another thing I have in my notes here is you would like to, uh, or you have tried to write horror screenplays. <laughs> so if you had a choice, which direction would you move in? Or would you just juggle them all? I... Ideally, I would juggle them all, but I think fiction um, has always been my true calling. And since I was a teenager, I've been writing uh, short stories or attempting to write novels and things like that. Um, yeah. But definitely, I'm attracted to to screenplays, and I love cinema. 
And uh, so I've, I've, I've been working on some horror screenplays off and on for years. None of them are complete yet, but one day I'll get there. <laughs> and what's the literary scene like in Luxembourg? It's kind of hard for me to say because for most of my time here, I've sort of just been in my little corner uh, where I live in the Rollinger Grund with my family. Um, it was not until a few years ago that um, I met uh, Wendy Wynn, actually, uh, who also has a radio program. And she sort of invited me on her show. And through her, I met a lot of other writers uh, with whom I now meet regularly to to discuss work. I think it's it's uh, I think there's a lively literary scene here, but maybe a bit fragmented in terms of nationalities and languages. Yeah, that's my impression. But uh, there are certainly some great events like the book fair that bring all of them together. Does it help to have a community of writers that you can bounce ideas off? It does. I originally I I, I was opposed to the idea. I thought of myself as like the lone artist alone, uh, pursuing my vision. But it really, really, really helps to have. Uh, friends or other writers with whom you can share your work they can give you feedback they can cheer you on they can stop you from going astray so i would i would recommend it for anyone because one thinks about writing as very lone profession as you've described it's very solitary and perhaps one has to force themselves out to be part of that group and so you've just described the the group of you know a, a literary cohort where you're you're discussing your ideas about writing together but then you also have your readership and so how important is their feedback to you? Do you get feedback? In terms of the, for the Luxembourg Verst or? Both and your book. Um, I haven't got so much feedback about my book yet. I think those sorts of things come, come later. There's a sort of delayed reaction. When they have bought your book for Christmas at the Valfer Book Fair this weekend, you'll be getting lots after Christmas. Right, right. I expect those emails in my inbox. Uh, for the Luxembourg Verst, I generally don't really read comments or pay too much attention or I don't even solicit commentary because it's, it's such a, such a hit or miss thing. And I know um, sometimes I think something's really funny and other people don't find it funny. So I'd prefer just to, to do what I do and not worry so much about what people think. So you put it out there and let it fly by itself. That's it. Yeah. Are you a sensitive soul? I used to be, but after uh, so many years of doing this sort of thing, no, not really. <laughs> and then I, I have to ask you about Ireland. What brought you to Galway as a 16-year-old? Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange story. I was sort of in trouble in school, and I sort of stopped going to school when I was 16. And my mother, um, like many Americans, she's of Irish um, origin, Irish ethnicity. And so she had a dream to, to go there one day. So when I was 16, she planned a, a month a trip there for a few months, and I went with her. But instead of traveling around, I, she just sort of dropped me off uh, in Galway. And so I was there living in a hostel. I had a job at a fast food chain called Eddie Rockets. And that's it. I was just sort of living there, uh, working and uh, living like an adult for a few months. It was fantastic. Wow. That's quite the thing to do to a 16-year-old in the west of Ireland on the Atlantic coast. <laughs> and plus Galway is a really, fu a really great city of uh, mm. music, culture, all sorts of things. Pubs. Of Bubs, course. All sorts of things. You just mentioned Ireland. <laughs> it's a given. <laughs> JP, thank you so much. We wish you wonderful luck this weekend. And you'll be there as well with Jessica. So, Jessica, you are the winner of the Young Voices Writing Contest. You are a poet. Yes. Why poetry? Um, I think that's poetry is what comes most naturally to me in a way, because I think ever since I was little, I kept diaries. But then I, when I look back at them, it is... I always see this tendency in myself to try to make it pretty and lyrical. Um, but I would like to write prose more as well. I do think it is more of a challenge to me because 
you have this whole arc and you have this sustained plot that you have to work on for quite a while. So, yeah, I really admire people who manage to do that. One overriding arc, but within it you can have little arcs. It's like a piece of music, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. And then you also have a, a deep focus on feminism. What does feminism mean to you? <laughs> um, well, I think that's a loaded question. But no, not necessarily. No, I mean, wait, because you, you've written for feminist magazines oh, yeah. and you're a young person. So, you know, what is the young view, your view of what being a feminist means? Not loaded. Okay, okay. Well, um, I think in my work right now, I don't think it's necessarily very overtly and strongly feminist, but I just like to have female characters and, um, you know, represent experiences that happen to women and that women go through because I, that's just my experience and I would like to see more of that in literature and just in general in media. So you're putting, in fact, on the point of media, you explore other modes of storytelling. And I know you make short videos with your friends as well. Yeah. So you've got the poetry, you study literature, of course, the cultural analysis too. And now you're starting short movies. Do you see a direction that you'd like to use all of these in your future life? Or is there something you'd like to move into more, perhaps the film world? Um, I think it's nice to keep things interdisciplinary for now and especially when I think I have a creative block it's nice to go to something else and just juggle multiple things and then I think you'll never get tired of what you're doing and your project and I think you'll always get new ideas. And again I have a line here that you feel like creative expression is a way to connect more fully with people as we are in this part of the world. Um, where we can be consumed somewhat by capitalism. Yes, I uh, absolutely believe that because um, I do think that the world is structured in a way that alienates us from one another and to just write and put it out into the world and just having one person tell me, oh, this, this really touched me today. Um, yeah, it's very fulfilling, I think, and... Yeah. <laughs> and tell us about the importance of having your work published. It's one thing to write by yourself in a room, yeah. writing for yourself, but putting your work outside for other people to read, particularly poetry, which has a very sensitive calling to it. How does that feel? Um, I think it's a very vulnerable thing to do. And um, to me, still, it's scary to put my stuff out there. And as well, I think if you're making any form of art, you are putting yourself up for judgment and criticism and maybe dislike uh, by some people as well. But it's infinitely more fulfilling to still do it and, yeah, show up for yourself. Um, yeah, instead of not doing it. <laughs> and tell us about the process, both of you, of applying to these competitions, how important it is to be recognised, to get the win of a competition. I mean, I imagine that really helps you put your name on the, the literary list and you become more known. In my case, yes, uh, for sure my friends and family members thought, oh, interesting, okay, all right. We thought he was wasting his time all of these years. So it did feel good. It felt like a, feels like a validation and it does make me want to go on. Mm -hmm. And how important is it to get an editor as well to help you with the process of putting your work out there? Mm, I think it's nice to get some guidance and just... Yeah, I when I 
won this competition, I specifically asked Anne-Marie as well to just introduce me to more people from the literary scene because like uh, you, I felt very much shut off in my little corner <laughs> of Luxembourg. Yeah, and Amsterdam now too. Although yeah, I don't exactly. know if people are very much shut off in Amsterdam. It sounds like a city where most people live outside the front door. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, and then this weekend, are you looking forward to Walford Book Fair? I'm looking forward to it very much. It's only my second time uh, going there. So in it's, it's, 17 I know, years I know, in Luxembourg? Shame. I know, oh, I was goodness. telling you, I was living in a corner, you know, <laughs> small little corner. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, my, I'm bringing my kids along, so they're going to be exposed to the world of publishing and literature. Yeah. So. Yeah, see what daddy does. <laughs> and uh, just finally then, I want you to tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what your friends think of your work. You, you must have a lot of people who write as friends, given what you've studied. Do you set them the example? Do they feel they would like to live in Luxembourg? Because you've probably got a lot of international friends now in Amsterdam. And do they think this is, this is a really, you know, incredible mark on your CV? Yeah, I think... Um I have quite a few friends in my life now who write as well and they are actually the people who inspired me to put my work out there because um, yeah, when I grew up here I don't think I was exposed to the literary scene a lot even though I went to the A section but like in That being of, the language section of yeah. the Luxembourg education system Yeah, yeah exactly I just feel like uh, in terms of book events and stuff like the Wolfabischadisch, I don't think I was uh, very involved. And so actually seeing my friends, especially um, a friend I have from the UK, being very much involved in writing groups and uh, just workshops ever since being a teenager, I think that's what's, that's what's um, inspired me to put myself on the radar here. <laughs> well, you definitely are. So JP, Jessica and Marie, I know you've got a busy weekend ahead of you. <laughs> we wish you luck and hopefully a lot of our listeners will be there in person to listen to you read from your written work and buy your books for Christmas. Thank you both. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you, Anne-Marie, for bringing us all together. Thank you. Now, after this break, we will talk all things theatre. The Lisa Burke Show. Now, introducing Marie-Christiane Nishimwe. She is originally born in Rwanda, but is now living in Luxembourg and was brought up in Luxembourg, a Luxembourg soprano. Studied singing at the Conservatoire du Nord in Luxembourg, graduated in 2014, and then went on to the Conservatory in Vienna, specialising in opera, a very famous opera house there, of course. You've performed as a soloist in Vienna in plenty of theatre houses in Hamburg, very, very prestigious theatres there as well and of course back in Luxembourg you're passionate about poetry and leader songs and regularly perform in chamber music concerts and contemporary interdisciplinary shows Jules Werner a lot of people will recognise your face also born in Luxembourg you've been an actor since your teenage years you studied in England at the Guildhall I believe mm-hmm. and uh, and of course you're famous on the Luxembourg stage and uh, film in the screen as well. You were awarded the uh, Luxembourg Film Prize in 2014 for Best Artistic Contribution and you've been in, in so many films that I won't try to pronounce because they're in Luxembourg. I will just, <laughs> I will, you, you will just grimace at me if I try that. Jacques Schiltz, I know you personally from Conservatoire de Nord as well. You're a freelance theatre director and an actor, I must say. You did a foundation course in acting at RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and you work as a director in Luxembourg. You're a member of the Theatre 
collective independent little lies. And again, we can put all of your credits on the on the article associated with this. So welcome to all three of you. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, Jacques, why are we here? <laughs> what have you got coming up in December at the Grand Théâtre? Well, we've got a new production of a very, very old play, one of the first plays ever written in the Luxembourgish language. And um, the original play is called Tmumseis. Which means? Which means Antsius, oder de Gescht, or so it's Antsius or the ghost, or Antisusi or the ghost. But we've switched something around. We called it, we call it the Gescht oder Tmumseis, the ghost or Antsius. So are we allowed to know a little bit about what it means, this play? Right, so uh, the original play was uh, written by Edmond Lafontaine, also known as Dix. Um, sorry for the naughty name. It's but but, 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 but why, why the change in his name? Um, nobody knows for sure. Um, <laughs> there are two theories that are, um, that are uh, very widespread. The first one is that um, apparently a German soldier, because he... He used to be a quite chubby boy, and uh, when when a German soldier uh, saw him, he, he asked, "Was haben wir denn hier für ein kleines Dickerchen?" Um, which <laughs> means, uh, "Oh, look at this uh, chubby little boy here." But there's an, another very very popular um, explanation, which is that as a little um, as a little child, as a little boy, he used to read the German, uh, the French uh, number dis which is spelled with an X at the end, as dicks. Okay, okay. Well, there are two lovely stories. You could write probably a little screenplay with those two stories as well. Um, now, what language will this be in, this production? It will be in Luxembourgish, but it will be surtitled in English and French. Yeah, um, this has been an important point for you to yes. stress. Yes, because dicks plays um, originally were very, very communal events. Yeah. Um, the city of Luxembourg still had gates when the uh, when these plays were performed, and these gates were. Which year? Which year was this? Or, it or was eighteen fifty five. Um, when he he wrote the first ever play in Luxembourgish, which is called the Short Chain, which would translate as um, the certificate of debt, and then uh, in the same year he he. Uh, two other plays of his were performed, and one one of them was Mumzeis. And um, the plays were so popular that they left the city gates open extra long whenever they were performed. Wow, lack of entertainment in Luxembourg. My goodness, things have changed a little. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. I mean, there was no theatre at the time. There was uh, mm. basically, there was very, very little culture at the time. It was mm. a place, Luxembourg was, was dominated by... Uh, I think agriculture, military, and the church, mm. and that was basically it. It wouldn't be alone at yes. that time. Yeah. And so this story, then, what's it about? It's about a woman. It's about uh, a washerwoman mm -hmm. who is uh, being conned out of her house and her fortune, her entire wealth, by two by two con men, uh, one of whom pretends to be the ghost of her of one of her past lovers. One of them. Uh, well, is that one, no, by the it, it, I think it was only one. Yeah. I think she was a. <laughs> she was a very moral woman. I, oh yes. I and, and what was the status, uh, the social status of a washerwoman at the time? Um, well, it's uh, the first impulse would say it was working class. Well, which might also be true, but still, um, I found some essays about 
um, about uh, washerwomen uh, in the 19th century, uh, especially when they were employed by the army. And they had quite a special status there. They Did were, they? Yes. I wonder. They were given a salary and, um, um, you know, the, the, the generals and officers, uh, they had their wives in their entourage as well. Yeah. But whenever a general or an officer was, was killed in war, they were sent home. The washerwomen stayed and they were, you know, they were they had quite an important job. I mean, things need to be clean, uh, even in in battle right? yeah, right. so that was their role their role was to wash not other things oh yes 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 <laughs> yes yes no 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 it was was quite a respectable profession though. okay okay and their, their job did last so then tell us a little bit about arranging the music for this story um well it was um Maybe I should begin with the genesis of the project as yeah. a whole, because... Because you've got um, music and theatre and everything together. Here. Exactly. So this is... Uh, the original is an operetta. Um, Dix wrote the music and, and, and the text. And it's, it, um, it's certainly... It's very, very charming and, and very funny, but it's also dated a bit. Mm. And uh, we thought when we were... Well, uh, at the moment when we when we thought about staging it, um, doing doing a fresh staging of it, um, we thought, well, we might want to do something new with it. So we asked um, the the author Samuel Harmon to um, to write a new text for the play, which uh, brings new characters in there, while also keeping the original play embedded within the new play so you kind of have two plays but you won't you won't hopefully see the difference yeah um i don't know if i, ex I explained that you well. did okay and, and you did and then the music exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all fine yeah and uh yeah and then for the for the music we thought we'd we'd bring a uh Ivan Baumanns uh, to the team, a uh, Luxembourgish composer who arranged the old music and also uh, wrote a few new songs to to Samuel's words. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it the the old music is still there and recognizable to to anyone who who knows the old songs. But um, it goes in sometimes it goes into a bit of a different direction. Um, there are. South American oh. dances in there um, musically. So, yes. well, let's ask the musician in the room. So, you've seen the music, you've seen the updated version of the music. What's it like to you? Mm, well, it, it, it's been interesting. It's been interesting because uh, when I arrived to Luxembourg, obviously I was introduced to, to this music. And then especially when I went to Vienna, the operetta became important to me because of the tradition in Vienna also. It was a big part of my, of my, uh, of my path as well. And then when um, Jacques asked me to be part of this project, it kind of opened a door that I never would have thought could get opened because it was a music I didn't really see myself uh, singing in, as Mumsays in Luxembourgish, because first of all, she's a mezzo-soprano, I'm a soprano, so it never was a thing that was uh, in my mind, but I certainly had an affinity to it. Mm -hmm. So 
um, I was happy to, to, to stumble across uh, a person, a, a team that we are, that is ready to rewrite the music, to rewrite the words and to retell the stories in a way I would tell it mm -hmm. now. And when and, it comes uh, to music... So when, when I heard the music the first time, I was a little... I was surprised about myself that it was surprising. <laughs> But um, now, considering all we have around the music and considering that this music theater we are doing is a recreation, I enjoy it very much and I see, I, I recognize the sense of, of, um, of rearranging it and of making it different and of making it danceable today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's... And do you enjoy performing back in Luxembourg? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I've been wondering if I do. <laughs> um, because obviously I've... I've had a path with uh, multiple junctions that uh, hasn't always been easy. It, uh, there have been steps um, where I stopped and had to see, okay, with which which path am I really going? And uh, Luxembourg definitely was a place where um, the love for opera, for classical music, for the lyrical singing was born, but it wasn't the one where it could flourish. Mm. Um, so when I'm here, I recognize myself as the little Marie Christiane also, who's a little bit, can I really do this? And as soon as I cross the border, I know I do it because obviously I've been performing everywhere else. But um, so on the on one hand, I've been enjoying it. On the other hand, I want to be very honest. It's, it's really a challenge because I, I see... Um, I see a fragility that I wasn't used to feeling anymore. And that's where I get very thankful to be in a team where we rethink things and where we look for new ways. Because, because it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's a fragile thing. Yeah. It's a fragile thing to perform here in Luxembourg to me. Um, That's yes. interesting because yeah. in, in another way you've come back the superstar having all of the experiences in these great opera houses across Europe. It is. It's interesting. Uh, definitely. Um, <laughs> but I think um, also I'm, I'm starting to learn to find the strength in this fragility. I, I, I have an intuition and I've always uh, felt a kind of um, um, courage for an open mind and the courage for for daring the the fragile and the subtle and the detail and the depth so um it's it's okay i think i'm in a state where i i actually allow myself to enjoy this duality you know I, yeah i can yes. understand i can mm. understand not having done what you've done but i can understand what you're describing yeah. <laughs> And, and Jules, we have to turn to you. I mean, you are yes. very used to this. You are superstar of Luxembourg itself. No, I say that. So, well, <laughs> I don't know. There's quite a few awards under your belt there. <laughs> and you've been acting all of your life. Long time. Yeah. You've done a lot in Luxembourg. I mean, do you enjoy working in Luxembourg or would you prefer, you know, you studied in London. Would you prefer to do more outside of Luxembourg? Um, no, I mean, at the moment, I, I'm not really thinking of outside because I've got three kids so that's the reason why I'm here um, 
I came back after London, where I lived for seven years. I came back to Luxembourg for for love oh. and um, that love. Kind <laughs> you, of, you met somebody uh, in Luxembourg yes. then, mm. and uh, that kind of uh, yeah got transformed in a family with three children and a dog. So um, <laughs> now I'm I'm stuck. <laughs> but in a good way, in a good way, in a happy I mean, way. We, we do cater for an international audience here in Luxembourg. People can move. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we all can. But but then I think no, I think we're we're rooted here, and I'm you know quite happy. Mm-hmm. So. And what are the options when it comes to the work that you want to do as an actor? Do you get sufficient work as an actor in Luxembourg? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's enough. There's a lot of. A lot of theatre, there's um, films, it's kind of, up, I mean, it depends on the time. Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less, but um, generally speaking, I can't, uh, can't complain. And how have you dealt with the, the increasing level of fame? I, I, like, the good thing in Luxembourg is that people don't really care. I mean, it's one of those things where you just kind of <laughs> go on and you, you can, I mean, you meet the prime minister on yeah. on place d'armes and he has a chat and like i think i really think that people in luxembourg just don't care it's a good place to be yeah. famous i think if someone huge would come i think they would kind of Bow get down. a bit excited but i think <laughs> just like local celebrities is uh, mm-hmm. not really interesting i think <laughs> so, so then tell us about this project that you're working on well um so i'll i'll be i'll be uh, doing my ghost yes. because the funny thing is, in the original um, drama, the ghost is made up, so it, it doesn't exist. They they just invent him to scare Mumzais mm. uh, uh, into mm. opening her her castle. Um, but in this version, they actually summon up a ghost uh, by accident, and that's me. Um, so my role is to punish human arrogance. Um, I would think, hmm? and um, so I try to, you know, manipulate them and um, kind of lure them into my web, whatever that means. But if, you know, you should come and see the play. And well, we will be. In fact, I think you're offering two tickets, aren't you? Yes. So you'll be offering two tickets for listeners. Yes, we'll be offering two tickets for uh, the second performance, which is on 19th of December, the premiere. Um, there are still a few tickets left for the premiere is on the 17th but on the 19th uh, we thought it it would be nice to to have some more people because there is uh, there will be um, uh, an, a, a, a discussion. discussion between the audience mm. and the cast and crew uh, immediately after the performance yeah in all of the languages of Luxembourg so you'll be there talking about everything that you're doing as well and and so has it been nice to work in what is maybe a little bit different for you on stage in a more kind of musical scene. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I I love singing. So that's something you, you don't Didn't get know to about do you. a lot. Yeah, no, I'm, well, I'm a bit of a West End Wendy, as they say in, in, in London. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I, I love doing a drama school. I did, uh, I did a, a, a musical, so I, 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 I really love it. Um, so this was a great occasion to just um, kind of, do that and and sing and and meet new people because mm-hmm. um, the acting community is quite quite small, especially if you uh, if you always like I, most of the plays I do are in French, so I kind of do all the French speaking actors. Uh, I've worked loads with the same people, so this is wonderful to just mm-hmm. meet new people, singers, musicians, um, just kind of expand. 
and very different singers because it's not an obvious collaboration to me. It is, as you said, very dis- interdisciplinary. Yes. Um, the thing is that um, until a few years ago, this um, uh, until 30 years ago, this was kind of this uh, Mumzeis and the other words, the other works by Dix were kind of the standard repertory and were performed over and over again by very, very different people. Uh, in the beginning, it was uh, it was originally written to be performed by um, the gym in Luxembourg. So that it was an all-male cast because um, the church uh, still didn't allow uh, women to be on stage in Luxembourg in uh, 1855, even though Dix was... He was a very conservative person, but he was always of the opinion that women should come on stage. Anyway, and then it was um, performed by musicians a lot, uh, by classical singers, opera singers, and also by by actors and even by amateur groups. And um, when when I cast the project, I, I I wanted it to be, I wanted the cast to be very eclectic and include artists from many different artistic backgrounds um, because I thought that would be um, a novel an uh, and um, that will really give it a spice to it because again you're bringing a new team together and as you already said it's about the team dynamic and they hold you you're catching them in your web but they also support you you know the team supports you if you feel that vulnerable fragile moment yes they do um, they do in a way that I feel like we have a similar purpose because we want to tell this story now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we want to share now with everyone so that purpose is so clear to me that i f- i feel like we have a yeah we were on the same path so to say um still it's been it's been a journey also uh, i'm used to other you know, it's it's always the interdisciplinarity brings challenges as well. So it's really, I like the challenge of meeting the actors and uh, people who, who maybe have another process of rehearsing or have another process of working on a on a character or on a on you a learn project. New ways. Yes, and mm. that actually is what I really am passionate about in music theatre. Well, uh, I invite all of our audience, all of our listeners to come along in December. So a few tickets left for the first night. It's sad that it's not on for longer. I, that's one of the, the sad things for me, you know, when you put on a show and you rehearse so hard. It's one of the sad things about Luxembourg, unfortunately. Mm. It's just, yeah, there's a there's a limited mm. amount of audience members. So it's it always, mm. unless you're really lucky and you get a production that goes on tour, um, but even that is always really difficult to organize. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. one of the big problems in Luxembourg is the longevity of, of yes. shows. For so much work. But this is, a, this is a big production. It has had an extra score written for it. It has had an extra mm. text written for it. Um, it, it it's, been, it's been a lot of work and it's still going to be a, a lot of work until the premiere. Um, so who knows if it's going to be success it'll go maybe on screen we have uh, enough people in the room to know how to operate that and for your next show I'm sure we also have somebody in the room who can write a scary horror screenplay (laughs) I wonder who that could be so maybe we'll add to Black Phantom Press some screenplays who knows I don't know if you have any screenplays yet but they'll be now that we've uh, we've got 
We've got a place. We've got Larissa's uh, award-winning Stark Bollock Naked, which was actually first published. <laughs> <laughs> was first published by Black Fountain Press. Huh? So uh, oh. we can take it from there. Yeah, I'm well, sure there are ideas. That's an eye-catching title, if ever there was one. On that lovely note, thank you all so much for being with us this week. Uh, write in as always. It's great to hear from you. We love your comments and feel free to reach out to any of my guests today to tell us your views and be sure sure to go along to the Valfer Book Fair this weekend to listen to all of the readers, buy the books for the Christmas gifts for San Nicolas. And of course, hopefully I'll see you all at one of the shows upcoming in the Grand Théâtre with our lovely guests in the studio. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. (laughs) 